Let's not waste any more time. We jump right into it. As promised, we are joined now by a Patriots insider for NBC Sports Boston. He has covered that team since 1997. He is co-host of the Patriots Talk podcast. He is co-author of Julian Edelman, or with Julian Edelman, of Relentless, a memoir. In other words, he's about all of these things. He's as plugged in and as dialed in as anybody. I'm talking about Tom Curran, my man. Not much going on at Patriot Place these days, Tom. Are you having a hard time keeping yourself busy? Holy crap, Jimmy. We're getting too old for this. We're getting too old for it. Uh, dude, that is the absolute best. All right, so where to even start? We are getting too old for it, and holy crap, Tom, I agree with you. Listen, Bill Belichick is out. Gerard Mayo apparently is in. Before we get to Mayo, let's talk about Belichick. Obviously, Tom, you and I could spend an entire program a whole mm-hmm. afternoon on this question, but ultimately, after going on the greatest run the sport has ever seen and probably ever will see, ultimately, how did it all come undone for Belichick? This is not how the Crafts expected it to end. Certainly, it's not how Bill expected it to end, or did the region. You know, the the worst Bill we always kind of thought was maybe six or seven wins. He, You know, Brady leaves. They go seven and nine in the year after he leaves with Cam Newton. And that's your figuring rock bottom. So when Bill had a poor season last year and made very questionable coaching staff decisions, and the Patriots said, you know what, he's close enough to Shula. He's a pain in the ass, but he's our pain in the ass. So let's up him for two more years, and hopefully he'll break that record, and then you know we'll, we'll see what is going to happen. Nobody expected four and thirteen. Nobody expected a team that would have literally six games in which they didn't score a touchdown, James. And with all the saber rattling that Robert Kraft did in the off season about expecting playoff wins and it being a business and being a production business. There was no way he could say all the things that he did and deliver all the ultimatums that he did and really not act on them with Bill. So as painful as it is for Patriots fans and as much of the celebration of Bill and all he accomplished is going on here, it just became untenuous. Untenable? Either way. I think that makes perfect sense. Perfect sense. Tom Curran joining us. In time, you mentioned that he had said, listen, we... The way you laid that out, like he, he's a pain in the ass, but he's our pain in the ass, and he'll get that record, then we'll figure it out. So that would suggest that there was some sort of succession plan in place. But apparently now with the, the announcement that Mayo, not the official announcement, but the report that official. he's going to be the guy, there it is official now. Yep. There is and was a succession plan in place. Can you give me some insight into that? What exactly was promised to him, and when was it promised to him? Mayo's contract expired last offseason. He has designs on going to be a head coach someplace. And he's never accepted a coaching title here in New England because he wanted to preserve his mobility. If he became, for instance, defensive coordinator and didn't like the direction of things, he could only leave for a head coaching job. So he wanted to be able to have mobility. So he was really the linebacker's coach. He had been approached in the past to be co-defensive coordinator along with Steve Belichick. And he said, you know, it's not really how we're doing it. I know Steve's the play caller, but I'm, I'm at the front of the room. I'm kind of setting the tone for the week. I'm leading things. So I would, I'm going to pass on co-defensive coordinator. He and Steve Belichick have a great relationship, and they are symbiotic. And they've done a great job with the defense. But he never wanted a title. So when the Crafts realized, okay, we keep losing by attrition and retirement, so many coaches here, and we're about to lose Gerard, too, if we don't make a move here last January. We like him. 
He's been an executive. He's a compelling person. He's extremely smart. Players play for him on defense. We'll write a two-year contract for Gerard. We're going to write a two-year contract for Bill. And after two years, once Bill gets past Don Shula, we'll most likely be making the move to Gerard. Let's write it right into the contract. And that's what they did. And again, nobody expected 4-13. and And really the dysfunction of the team in getting to that point and the unwatchable level of it. So Gerard is a year earlier than anticipated. Tom Curran joining us. So just like nobody expected that, I don't think anybody there, including Bob Kraft, expected Mike Vrabel to come free and clear and be available. I understand the plan was in place. I understand Mm -hmm. that it was on the contract. What about Vrabel? Did Kraft give that a second thought? Did he give that any thought when Vrabel became clear? Conversations I had this week indicated that they love Mike Vrabel. They think the world of him, but that they have been methodical in their planning for what they would do. And they were not going to deviate from the plan that they had put in place when they did the contract with Mayo. So had that contract not been written with that language in it, and Bill went 4-13, and but there was no direct commitment to Gerard Mayo, I don't know how that would change, my, uh, Jimmy. I, I really don't. I mean, maybe, maybe they'd say, we love Gerard, but we would be doing ourselves a disservice if we didn't at least talk to Mike. Um, I think that's absolutely worth hypothesized, another big word out of me, hypothesizing about. But that ship has sailed. You know, since they put it in paper, you're right. Like, there's no getting around that. But if we just, like, let's play that hypothetical game. Tom, in your opinion, who would you rather have, Mayo or Vrabel? Oh, man. Full disclosure? Full. Mayo, at Bill's recommendation, was a guest of mine on my weekly show for six years as a player. And then after he retired and went into private industry, was a co-host of the same show. I've done podcasts and television shows. Full disclosure, I love Mike Vrabel, have a great relationship with him, um, but I know Mayo very well. So it's hard for me to give a non-objective opinion as to who I think would be the better head coach. I can objectively look at it and say, Mayo's got more, excuse me, Vrabel's got more experience. He's got more experience dealing with personnel departments. He's got more experience dealing with the salary cap. He's coached in playoff games. He understands the logistics of it. Gerard does not. That argues in his favor. What argues in Gerard's favor, in my estimation, is that he is the right guy at the right time who is the right age to relate to the players here and change the tenor of the organization in a way that it desperately needs to be changed. It ain't a fun place to play. We see a lot of plaudits going out on social media about all the players who love Bill, and they do. But so many of those same players will look at my face and talk about what a dink he was and how hard it was and how they couldn't wait to have X, Y, or Z happen so they didn't have to deal with it anymore. So we'll see. But there's a lot that argues for Rabel, Jim, no, no, no doubt. Tom, this is why you shouldn't mess with big words when you can use short words or small words like dink, no doubt. Which, which hit just as hard. Dink. He's a dink, man. He's a dink. It's so great. Tom Curran's joining us. So, Tom, where does that leave the Patriots in terms of a GM? Belichick, of course, handled that capacity or was in that capacity. Where do they turn now for GM? I don't know. That's one thing I don't have any intel on for you. Um, I'm presuming that generally teams, Jim, in your experience, I'm sure you could agree as well, 
generally teams who are going through kind of a more methodical um, rebuild of their team will keep a lot of the personnel around throughout the offseason, their personnel staff around. Matt Groh is here as the number one in the personnel department. Elliot Wolf, son of Ron Wolf, is here. A guy named Steve Cargyle who's been here. They've all done their work from August through January on the college prospects, and they have a huge draft opportunity. Do you want that brain power and data to go out the door now? What do you say? <laughs> yeah, see you later. They haven't done that great lately. So I don't know which way they'll go, but there's a lot, a lot of work that's been done on the Patriots' behalf that is proprietary to them because it was done by their, their people. So that's the fascinating part because Bill isn't out because he can't coach. Bill's out because his players weren't good enough. Flat out. That's it. I mean, we can mail all day long. We can mail Vrabel, any, McDaniels, anybody. It's the players, man. They don't have – I'm t- probably talking too long. But check this out. They don't have a quarterback. They have one running back under contract. They don't have a tight end under contract. They don't have a top-end wide receiver or a number-two wide receiver. Their offensive line is a shambles. It's an expansion-level offense. And they have to go into free agency and then go into the draft and fix all that with an outstanding defense. So it's the personnel thing that's really big here. Yeah, I think. I agree with you, Tom. That's why, to me, like Gerard Mayo, I have immense respect for. You can tell he's got that it. He's a young, bright, up-and-coming guy. And and I can see where that would work. But his job is so difficult because not only is he following the GOAT, the GOAT left him nothing at all in the cupboard. I mean, there is no talent. They're bereft. There's a good word. They're bereft of any kind of talent, right? So that's a real problem. Tom Curran joining us. Tom, so where does that leave Belichick, and what do you think? Because you made the point, and I agree with you. He can still coach. Where does that leave him, and what do you think the market looks like for him? I'm fascinated to hear. I mean, those requests should start coming in. Don't they have to be shared with the league? That's the thing is I'm going to have, like, post-traumatic, like, (laughs) Belichick syndrome. (laughs) I bet. Like, the the things that I'm going to – find out and hear that the places in the building I'm going to be allowed to go that were before you thought you were going to take one in the back of the head if you walk too far down the hallway. My guess is it will have to be shared somehow if a request is made for Bill. Now, Bill's preference would be, yeah, you don't have to say anything. I'll just come in and visit with you. But I think some of those interviews have to be shared with the league. So Atlanta would seem to be the front runner just based on the guy I trust in Mike Lombardi. Um, in his relationship with Bill and the emphatic nature in the, of the way he said that Atlanta should come after him. So that's, that's my best guess. Would he go work with Adam Peters, who was an employee here in New England, in Washington? All of that stuff is on the table. Or would you hire a GM first and then have Bill Belichick come in and go, who are you again? Oh, yeah, I remember you. <laughs> Tom, to your point, before you go, I was going to ask you about this anyway, but I thought that you set this up perfectly, that there are certain turns in that hallway that you don't want to make. You might end up with a burning slug in your head. I'm curious. Nobody's done a better job of covering this team than you. How would you describe what it's been like covering and reporting on on Bill Belichick, about Bill Belichick, and working within the confines of the culture of a team and an organization run by Bill Belichick as a reporter. What's that been like? Uh, it's been an unbelievable privilege 
Jim, you wouldn't have been talking to me if I was covering the Cardinals for the last 15 or 20 years that we've done these things. Yes, I would. Eh, I probably would have gotten sick of it and lost my job. There's a million <laughs> jobs up here because of the team's so friggin' good because Bill helped that happen. So it's been an absolute privilege. I had a, a great relationship with Bill at different junctures. It's not as as great now because in doing your job, we're across purposes in terms of how we cover the team, but it's been an unbelievable privilege. You could have been a reporter covering Lombardi's Packers in the 60s and Bill Walsh in the 80s with the Niners and still not seen as much success as I got to witness from 2000 to 2020 here. So the luckiest reporter, myself and a few others, Mike Reese from ESPN, who was here for the whole thing, um, that I can – Imagine a lot thanks to a great alliance share thanks to Bill and Tom Brady. I can appreciate that response quite a bit. Tom Curran, Patriots insider for NBC Sports Boston, as mentioned, has covered that team since 1997, co-host of the Patriots Talk podcast, co-author along with Julian Edelman of Relentless, a memoir. My man, I appreciate you so much, Tom. Great to have you on. Thank you very much. And I know we'll do it again soon. In fact, I'll look for you in Vegas. That's what I was going to say. I'll see you at the Bellagio. You got it. See you at the Bellagio. <laughs> Tom Curran joining us. My man, I love him. I, I disagree with one thing he said. I would talk to him no matter who he covered. He's always one of my favorites. And the Cardinals have been a good jungle team for a long time. So that's a bad example. If you covered the Cardinals, dude, assuredly I would have talked to you. But no matter where you worked or who you covered, I would have talked to you. Because he's always been, you heard him. That's the way he shows up. He's fun. Great content, good show. All right, my thanks to Tom Kern. I've got the big head, James Kelly. He had a big week, too. It's been a week now. 